This program is presented by Birch Gold Group, the precious metal IRA specialists. Good morning. In today's headlines, concerns rise in Ohio in the wake of the train derailment. Is the air and water safe? Authorities say toxic chemicals have entered the Ohio River. When is it safe for kids to go online? U.S. Senator Josh Hawley says serious steps are needed to protect children. The Missouri Republican proposes two new bills. At a time when American F-22s are being deployed to shoot down Chinese spy balloons, U.S. Senator Marco Rubio is taking issue over Ford's deal with a Chinese battery company. A 30-year-old radio host was beaten to death in a Chinese prison, all because of his faith. His close friend posted a graphic video of his corpse that went viral on Twitter. And we spoke to an expert who says that living standards in the U.S. have declined dramatically and that this will be permanent at best. Good morning. Welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan. Good morning, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Wednesday, February 15th. And first, we have an update on the Ohio train derailment that happened last week. Officials are now saying that toxic chemicals have entered the Ohio River. And today's Daniel Monahan has more on the aftermath of the fiery crash. The spill did flow to the Ohio River during that initial slug. The EPA has acknowledged the spill of hazardous chemicals into the river, but says it's a large water body that's able to dilute the pollutants pretty quickly. Officials say residents near the derailment should only use bottled water until more test results are in, but are assuring people that drinking water in the area has remained protected. We're seeing very low levels of, con of contaminants, and so all of the treatment being done at those water systems take out any contamination before it finished water. The contaminants that spilled into waterways were toxic to fish. We have estimated based on our sampling and modeling about 3,500 dead fish across that space, across those streams, tributaries, waterways. Vinyl chloride and at least three other toxic chemicals were released into the air, soil, or water. The Ohio Department of Public Health says that most people can be around the volatile organic compounds at low levels without really feeling health effects. However, at higher levels, especially over a longer period of time, then we can have longer-term health effects. Ohio Governor Mike DeWine says he personally spoke with the Norfolk Southern CEO. He says the company promised to remain in the area until the damage was completely cleared up. He gave me his word and his commitment that the railroad would do that. It's been more than a week since about 50 cars of a freight train derailed in a fiery, mangled mess near the Pennsylvania state line. Authorities chose to intentionally release and burn toxic vinyl chloride from five rail cars, sending flames and black smoke billowing high into the sky. The goal was to avoid the danger of an uncontrolled blast. The jarring scene left people questioning the potential health impacts for residents in the area and beyond. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Now Arizona also has a hazardous material spill. Yesterday, a tanker truck hauling nitric acid overturned on an interstate near Tucson. Drivers along the interstate shot video of the toxic leak emitting reddish smoke. The highway was closed for hours. 
Public safety officials urged residents nearby to remain inside. They said first responders were working to evacuate a perimeter around the incident out of an abundance of caution. The local fire department notified that it was helping to control the hazmat and brush fire incidents at the crash site. The extent of injuries and whether other vehicles were involved was not explained, nor was the accident's cause or scope of the spill. Officials said the hazardous material spilled was nitric acid. It was being transported in liquid form. Right, and nitric acid is used in the washing of glassware and metal equipment, and it's a highly corrosive chemical, so it can cause severe lung damage if inhaled, and it's also irritating for the skin and the eyes when coming into contact with that. Passersby were advised to turn off heaters and air conditioning units that bring in outside air. Turning to the Michigan University shooter, the suspect, who killed three and injured five others at Michigan State University on Monday, had a previous gun charge. Anthony McRae was charged in June 2019 with a felony for carrying a concealed handgun without a permit. But those charges were dismissed by District Attorney Carol Seaman. Her office allowed McRae to plead guilty to a lesser misdemeanor gun charge. He served a little more than a year on probation. McRae was initially facing up to five years in prison for the felony charge. Seaman left the DA's office at the beginning of the year. She was facing backlash from judges and police for what they felt were her soft-on-crime policies. Seaman started an official policy at her DA's office to drop mandatory prison sentences for felony firearms charges. She said automatic sentencing resulted in dramatic racial inequity and added that such a policy was not at all linked to the goal of keeping the public safe. And U.S. Senator Marco Rubio is raising the alarm over Ford Motor's deal with the Chinese battery company. He says he wants to make sure no U.S. funds go to the Chinese company, especially when American F-22s are being deployed in real time to shoot down Chinese spy balloons. The senator says the deal will only deepen U.S. reliance on the Chinese Communist Party for battery tech and thinks it's likely designed to make the factory eligible for Inflation Reduction Act tax credits. Ford, on the other hand, argues that the new plant would create 2,500 jobs and begin producing cheaper and faster recharging EV batteries in 2026. It says it would own and control the facility with no foreign investment or U.S. tax dollars going to the Chinese company. Rubio is calling for an immediate committee review of the licensing agreement between Ford and the company CATL. From big automakers to big tech companies, U.S. Senator Josh Hawley introduced two bills yesterday. They aim to protect kids online and prevent harm from social media companies. The MATURE Act would enforce a minimum age requirement of 16 for all users on social media platforms, while the other bill is called the Federal Social Media Research Act. It would commission a government report on the harm of social media for kids. Senator Hawley says children suffer every day from the effects of social media. He says big tech companies, at best, are neglecting children's health and monetizing their personal information, and at worst, being complicit in their exploitation and manipulation. The kid's ability to figure out how to, how to set what's on this phone. My, my 10-year-old knows more about this phone than I know about it already. What's going to be like in another four years or five or six years like your son, Ms. Bride? So I just say as a parent, it would put me much more in the driver's seat if the law was you couldn't have a phone. I'm sorry, you couldn't get on social media till 16. In related news, a CDC survey on Monday found increasing mental health challenges among teens. 
the agency declared a national youth mental health crisis. 42% of high school students reported experiencing persistent sadness and hopelessness in 2021. Researchers say social media is a contributing factor. In China, a 30-year-old Sichuan radio host was beaten to death in a local prison because of his faith. But before we go into this, please be aware that the footage we're about to show you might be disturbing. Pang Xun, host of Sichuan People's Radio, is a Falun Gong practitioner. He was involved in different media hosting and reporting. Pang was arbitrarily arrested in Chinese, by Chinese authorities on his way to work because of his faith. He was detained in July 2020 and died in December. His close friend filmed a graphic video of his corpse and posted it online after his family had agreed to release the video. This video then went viral. Chinese authorities claim Pang died from hyperthyroidism during his detention, but this video shows wounds all over his body. Pang's friend told the Chinese Epoch Times that Pang was definitely assaulted in prison. Pang's family and friend says he was in good health before his detention. The injuries on his body appear to be electric bat baton marks, bruises and binding marks, pointing that he was tortured in custody. Just after his death, the family hired a forensic doctor who was prevented from entering the mortuary. The Chinese regime then required the family to cremate the body within 10 days. In the tweet, Pang's friend says he was a very sunny and handsome young man. He was the purest and kindest person I knew. The reason for his arrest was that Pang and his family practiced Falun Gong. Although, although I don't practice Falun Gong, this is by no means a reason for the CCP to kill him. Now, Falun Gong is an ancient cultivation method that originated in China. It's based on the principles of truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance. And the practice has spread to over 70 countries worldwide. But in China, they, it was banned when it gained popularity back in 1999. Yes, and Pang's case is only one out of thousands being silenced. The website Minghui collects accounts of persecution and arrests of practitioners in China. It reported over 100 Falun Gong practitioners were sentenced in January this year. And in Canada, members of Parliament hosted a screening of Eternal Spring this week. The film tells the story of a group of individuals being persecuted in China who tapped into state television in order to get the truth out. The animated film was Canada's entry for Best International Feature at this year's Oscars. And today's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the response from MPs after watching it. The artistic expression of such a difficult circumstance is, is very overwhelming and beautiful. The award-winning film Eternal Spring depicts the Chinese communist regime's persecution of people of faith. It pieces together events that occurred in China nearly 21 years ago and tells the story of 18 Chinese citizens who managed to tap into state cable television to broadcast uncensored news about the regime's persecution campaign against Falun Gong practitioners. Liberal MP Judy Scro and Conservative MP Garnet Jenis hosted the screening on Monday. Jenis says the film vividly brings to light the struggle for freedom and justice. It's a it's a very powerful and moving presentation of that uh, that history, and uh, it should be inspiring for us today to do what we can to continue the work of trying to bring truth and information to people and um, and uh, you know help people to access information about what's really going on in China and around. Scrow said she's never seen anything like it and that it was hard to find the appropriate words to describe it. But I am sure it will win every award possible. 
but this should be the beginning of many ways to tell stories, to tell stories to people about how things are, and the reality of the kind of suffering that continues to go on in China today, and the persecution. The persecution against people of faith in China includes forced labor, torture, and live organ harvesting. Canadian MPs voted unanimously in December to pass a bill to create new offenses in relation to forced organ harvesting and trafficking. Janice was a sponsor of that bill. We're continuing to speak out about the situation of Falun Gong practitioners. I think um, the, the repression has gotten that much more intense and it continues to escalate in terms of trying to uh, not only re repress dissent but also keep information from getting out. So uh, we need to continue to, to look for information, get out the information we can and also uh, raise more awareness about what's happening. There, there continues to be escalating violence and persecution uh, in China, and, uh, and notwithstanding the, the efforts to suppress that information, we need to, to find out what we can and expose that. The film's animator, Da Xiong, says the film is not necessarily just about Falun Gong, but about the truth, and that even though the Chinese regime relies on lies and violence to maintain its power, the film talks about how to uncover those lies and bring truth to the people. A very deep concern for me hearing of so many circumstances like the Falun Gong who are simply wanting to exercise their right to freedom of religion and expression of that belief. And so I just commend, uh, you know, this sense of commitment to their faith that is so real. And I know many, many other faiths, Christian as well, I'm Christian background. And so, you know, that and what's happened with the Uyghur Muslims, we need to unite and stand against a world where freedom of faith and religion is seen as dangerous to those who want to control. And so uh, it was very inspiring tonight. Despite MPs and numerous other government officials around the world denouncing the CCP's human rights violations, the persecution campaign in China continues. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Up next, we speak to an expert who says that living standards in the U.S. have declined dramatically and that this will be permanent at best. Get the story after the break. Welcome back. We have new inflation numbers. The data says that inflation sits at an annual rate of 6.4%. Back in June, when it was at its highest, it was at 9.1%, so some argue that's well off the peak, but others say an economic recovery is still far off. So I spoke to Jeffrey Tucker. He's the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute. He was also the editorial director for the American Institute for Economic Research before that, and he says that living standards in the U.S. have declined and that this will be permanent at best. Uh, savings are historically low. We've never seen savings like this. And this this goes after, you know, two years ago where they were two and a half years ago when they were at a historic high. So we've we've we're running out of savings and credit card debt is exploding uh, like we've never seen before. At the same time, we're facing this unrelenting inflation. The trend lines are terrible and that's eating into wages and salaries. We're now at something like month 20 of declines in real wages in this country so it's it's uh, it's a it's a terrible pillaging but in theory would a recession then not be a good thing potentially then what with um 
um, with the presumption that prices would come down in the end, and that's just the cycle of economy, and, you know, then it'll just continue with economic growth. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think in normal times your your point is 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 correct that uh, after a unsustainable boom a recession is a welcome time, and that would typically drive down prices. Uh, the the problem is that these are not typical times, so we're we're probably headed into a, a recession. We're probably already in one. In fact, sometimes I wonder if we ever left one from from the spring of 2020, but we're going into recession, but I don't see signs of inflation receding, so we're gonna get what's called an inflationary recession, or sometimes called stagflation, which is kind of the worst of all worlds, uh, and uh, with growing job insecurity, especially among all those sectors that did so well for the last 10 years. It's, the, the job market is very interesting right now, and, and, and people need to be aware of this. The, we're, we're really losing a lot of jobs in the higher-end professions uh, with a large, large, uh, many uh, high-cap companies slicing off uh, 10, 15, 20 percent of the workforce, uh, even as there's job shortages in um, in other kinds of professions, hospitality, and and that sort of thing, it's stuff you do with your hands, you know, not not six-figure incomes, but the the lower uh, lower ends of the, the job spectrum. Um, when you hear about job growth, <laughs> it's it's funny because um, what what this really is is people taking second and third jobs. That's actually what the dominant trend is in this country. It's not increasing numbers of jobs. Mm. And so in terms of living standards, where do you see this going in the future? Uh, sadly, so uh, sadly, a lot of people expect, and this has been going on for two years, people keep thinking that this is an abnormality, things are going to get back to normal, by which by normal they mean 2019 prices. I'm so sorry to report that all the prices that are around us right now, it's at some level, in some way, are going to be permanent. At best, if we go to a 0% inflation rate right now, all that means is that all the price increases over the last two years are going to be permanently with us. So unless you got a 15% salary increase over the last two years, uh, you're actually behind. Your real wages have, have declined, and not many people have gotten 15% salary increases over two years, So, uh, especially not the working classes in this country. So it's really uh, been extremely uh, painful to watch. And not only that, but household finances right now have been completely wrecked with uh, with record credit card debt. People keep putting more and more on their credit cards. They're not saving their, their money anymore, so we're burning the candle at both ends. Is there anything we can do to prepare or, uh, you know, at least adapt? Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I would I would say that that the most important thing is to not give in to the temptation to spend too much of your money. You need to be saving. Uh, uh, the good thing that's happening, if you want some good news, is that interest rates are up in the short term, which means that you can actually make money right now by saving money. Maybe not in real terms, but but cash saved today is earning four to five percent, and certificates of deposit. Uh, you know, for over a year or five years or 10 years are actually paying a lot more than that. So uh, even if the stock market comes under a lot of pressure, at least for now, we're starting to see some payout, not enough, but some payout from, from saving money. All right. Thank you so much for this advice as well. Jeffrey Tucker with the Brownson Institute. My pleasure. Thank you.
Very interesting take from Jeffrey Tucker. Now, coming up, a traditionally sweet treat. A German baker decided to mix things up by creating a donut with a difference and a kick. But is it a hit with customers? We'll find out after the break. Welcome back. Donuts are a delicacy, not just in the U.S. To celebrate the annual German Carnival, a German baker has taken his skills to the next level. His donuts are getting some spice to them and some unique flavors. How the treat went down with customers, here's the story. Master baker Florian Parkbahn from Miespa in Upper Bavaria has thought of a unique way to celebrate the German Carnival season, known locally as Fasching. He has created donuts with a very special filling, which he serves to his customers. Donuts filled with a sausage and a rich sauce. I simply wanted to combine it with our donuts because it's quite extraordinary. It's not your regular thing, and it tastes quite different, too. German donuts, commonly known as Kropfen, Berliner, or Kreppel, are normally a sweet delicacy. But Perkman decided, just for fun, to spice it up a little. So this is our traditional filling made from black currant and raspberry confit. Then we add the raw onion and the fried pork sausage, and we top it off with our rich and spicy basna sauce. The donuts are filled with confit while still hot. Donuts are particularly popular during the winter months. Perkman sells around 250 donuts of the usual kind daily. In the whole high season, up to 15,000. His new variety has been on the shelves for a couple of weeks. An acquired taste for some, the specialty donuts seem to be popular with others. Very tasty, really. It has a kick to it, which is awesome. It's pretty unique taste-wise. I definitely recommend it. The assorted donuts will be on Parkman's shelves until Ash Wednesday, the end day of German Fasching. But depending on how it goes, this may well be extended. Valentine's Day is a popular time for weddings, and in Thailand, over 70 couples tied the knot on the backs of elephants. The elephant is Thailand's national icon. Performers and young elephants dance to lead a procession at Nong Nuch Tropical Garden as more elephants carrying couples arrived at the parade. A local district official, also on an elephant, oversaw the signing of the marriage license. The popular elephant back wedding is an annual event at the Botanical Garden, which usually saw up to 100 couples participating during pre-pandemic times. Ah, oh, Evelyn, those tiny little Baby elephants are just so cool. <laughs> Tiny, relatively speaking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, elephants are really smart. And fun fact, you know, they appear in Chinese and Asian cultures at Deities Mount. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Well, thanks for enlightening me on that. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> all right. That's all for today's program. We'd love to hear from you. You can share your thoughts, your story at NT uh, goodmorning at ntd.com. Shoot us an email if you'd like. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Kevin Hogan.